0: Act I of Major Barbara by George Bernard Shaw. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stephen Undershaft. Recorded
1: by Chuck Williamson.
2: Lady Britomart, Read by Amy Graymore.
3: Sarah Undershaft. Read by Ariel Lipshaw. Barbara Undershaft, read by Elizabeth Clatt. Charles Lomax,
4: read by M.B. Adolphus Cusins, read by Chris Marcellus. Morrison, read by Todd.
5: Andrew Undershaft, read by Bruce Peary.
3: Rummy Mitchens, read by Elizabeth Clatt. Snobby Price, read by Joshua Tesh. Jenny Hill, read by Grace Garrett.
5: Peter Shirley. Read by Ken Garrett, Bill Walker. Read by Algy Pug,
6: Mrs. Baines. Read by Margaret Espeyatt,
5: Bilton,
2: Read by Todd.
0: Narration, stage directions. Read by David Lawrence. It is after dinner on a January night, in the library in Lady Bridemart Undershaft's house in Wilton Crescent. A large and comfortable settee is in the middle of the room, upholstered in dark leather. A person sitting on it it is vacant at present would have on his right lady bridemart's writing table with the lady herself busy at it a smaller writing table behind him on his left the door behind him on lady bridemart's side and a window with a window seat directly on his left near the window is an armchair lady bridemart is a woman of 50 or thereabouts well dressed and yet careless of her dress well bred And quite reckless of her breeding, well mannered, and yet appallingly outspoken and indifferent to the opinion of her interlocutory, amiable and yet peremptory, arbitrary and high tempered to the last bearable degree, and withal a very typical managing matron of the upper class, treated as a naughty child until she grew into a scolding mother, and finally settling down with plenty of practical ability and worldly experience limited in the oddest way with domestic and class limitations, conceiving the universe exactly as if it were a large house in Wilton Crescent, though handling her corner of it very effectively on that assumption, and being quite enlightened and liberal as to the books in the library, the pictures on the walls, the music in the portfolios, and the articles in the papers. Her son Stephen comes in, He is a gravely correct young man under twenty-five, taking himself very seriously, but still in some awe of his mother, from childish habit and bachelor shyness rather than from any weakness of character. What's the matter?
2: Presently Stephen.
0: Stephen submissively walks to the settee and sits down. He takes up the speaker.
2: Don't begin to read, Stephen. I shall require all your attention.
0: It was only while I was waiting.
2: Don't make excuses, Stephen.
0: He puts down the speaker. Now. She finishes her writing, rises, and comes to the settee.
2: I have not kept you waiting very long, I think.
0: Not at all, mother.
2: Bring me my cushion.
0: He takes the cushion from the chair at the desk and arranges it for her as she sits down on the settee. Sit down. He sits down and fingers his tie nervously.
2: Don't fiddle with your tie, Stephen. There's nothing the matter with it.
0: I beg your pardon. He fiddles with his watch-chain instead.
2: Now, are you attending to me, Stephen?
1: Of course, mother.
2: No, it's not of course. I want something much more than your every-day matter-of-course attention. I am going to speak to you very seriously, Stephen. I wish you would let that chain alone.
0: Hastily relinquishing the chain.
1: Have I done anything to annoy you, mother? If so, it was quite unintentional. Nonsense, with some remorse.
2: My poor boy, did you think I was angry with you? What
1: is it then, mother? You are making me very uneasy, squaring
0: herself at him rather aggressively.
2: Stephen, may I ask how soon you intend to realize that you are a grown-up man and that I am only a woman? Only oh, a, don't repeat my words, please. It is a most aggravating habit. You must learn to face life seriously, Stephen. I really cannot bear the whole burden of our family affairs any longer. You must advise me. You must assume the responsibility. I? Yes, you, of course. You were twenty-four last June. You have been at Harrow and Cambridge. You have been to India and Japan. You must know a lot of things now. Unless you have wasted your time most scandalously, Well, advise me.
1: You know I have never interfered in the household.
2: No, I should think not. I don't want you to order the dinner.
1: I mean, in our family affairs.
2: Well, you must interfere now, for they are getting quite beyond me i have
1: thought sometimes that perhaps i ought but really mother i know so little about them and what i do know is so painful it is so impossible to mention some things to you he stops ashamed
2: i suppose you mean your father yes my dear we can't go on all our lives not mentioning him of course you were quite right not to open the subject until i asked you to but you are old enough now to be taken into my confidence and to help me to deal with him about the girls.
1: But the girls are all right. They are engaged.
2: Yes. I have made a very good match for Sarah. Giles Lomax will be a millionaire at thirty-five, but that is ten years ahead, and in the meantime his trustees cannot, under the terms of his father's will, allow him more than eight hundred pounds a year
1: but the will also says that if he increases his income by his own exertions they may double the increase
2: charles lomax's exertions are much more likely to decrease his income than to increase it sarah will have to find at least another eight hundred pounds a year for the next ten years and even then they will be as poor as church mice and what about barbara i thought barbara was going to make the most brilliant career of all of you and what does she do joins the salvation army discharges her maid lives on a pound a week and walks in one evening with a professor of greek whom she has picked up in the street and who pretends to be a salvationist and actually plays the big drum for her in public because he has fallen head over ears in love with her
1: i was certainly taken aback when i heard they were engaged cusins is a very nice fellow certainly nobody would ever guess that he was born in australia
2: but-oh adolphus cusins will make a very good husband after all nobody can say a word against greek it stamps a man at once as an educated gentleman and my family thank heaven is not a pig-headed tory one we are whigs and believe in liberty let snobbish people say what they please barbara shall marry not the man they like the man I like.
1: Of course, I was only thinking of his income. However, he is not likely to be extravagant.
2: Don't be too sure of that, Stephen. I know your quiet, simple, refined, poetic people like Adolphus, quite content with the best of everything. They cost more than your extravagant people, who are always as mean as they are second-rate. No, Barbara will need at least two thousand pounds a year you see it means two additional households. Besides, my dear, you must marry soon. I don't approve of the present fashion of philandering bachelors and late marriages, and I am trying to arrange something for you.
1: It's very good of you, Mother, but perhaps I had better arrange that for myself.
2: Nonsense! You are much too young to begin matchmaking. You would be taken in by some pretty little nobody. Of course, I don't mean that you are not to be consulted. You know that as well as I do.
0: Stephen closes his lips and is silent.
2: now, Don't sulk, Stephen.
0: I- I'm not sulking, Mother.
1: What has this to do with 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 my father,
2: my dear Stephen? Where is the money to come from? it is easy enough for you and the other children to live on my income as long as we are in the same house but i can't keep four families in four separate houses you know how poor my father is he has barely seven thousand a year now and really if he were not the earl of stevenage he would have to give up society he can do nothing for us he says naturally enough that it is absurd that he should be asked to provide for the children of a man who is rolling in money you see stephen your father must be fabulously wealthy because there is always a war going on somewhere
1: you need not remind me of that mother i have hardly ever opened a newspaper in my life without seeing our name in it the undershaft torpedo the undershaft quick fires the undershaft ten inches the undershaft disappearing rampart gun the undershaft submarine and now the undershaft aerial battleship at harrow they called me the woolwich infant at cambridge it was the same a little brute at kings who was always trying to get up revivals spoilt my bible your first birthday present to me by writing under my name son and heir to undershaft and lazareth death and destruction dealers address christendom and judea but that was not so bad as the way i was kowtowed to everywhere because my father was making millions by selling cannons
2: IT IS NOT ONLY THE cannons, BUT THE WAR LOANS THAT LAZARUS ARRANGES, UNDER COVER OF GIVING CREDIT FOR THE CANONS. YOU KNOW, STEPHEN, IT'S PERFECTLY SCANDALOUS. THOSE TWO MEN, ANDREW UNDERSHAFT AND LAZARUS, POSITIVELY HAVE EUROPE UNDER THEIR THUMBS. THAT IS WHY YOUR FATHER IS ABLE TO BEHAVE AS HE DOES. HE IS ABOVE THE LAW. Do you think Bismarck, or Gladstone, or Disraeli could have openly defied every social and moral obligation all their lives, as your father has? They simply wouldn't have dared. I asked Gladstone to take it up. I asked the Times to take it up. I asked the Lord Chamberlain to take it up. But it was just like asking them to declare war on the Sultan. They wouldn't. They said they couldn't touch him i believe they were afraid
1: what could they do he does not actually break the law
2: not break the law he is always breaking the law he broke the law when he was born his parents were not married
1: mother is that true
2: of course it's true that was why we separated
0: he married without letting you know this rather taken aback by this inference
2: oh no To do Andrew justice, that was not the sort of thing he did. Besides, you know the undershaft motto. Unashamed. Everybody knew. But you said that was why you separated. Yes, because he was not content with being a foundling himself. He wanted to disinherit you for another foundling. That was what I couldn't stand. Uh, Do you mean for... for... uh, for don't stammer stephen speak distinctly
1: oh but this is so dreadful to me mother
2: to have to speak to you about such things it's not pleasant for me either especially if you are still so childish that you must make it worse by a display of embarrassment it is only in the middle classes stephen that people get into a state of dumb helpless horror when they find that there are wicked people in the world in our class We have to decide what is to be done with wicked people. And nothing should disturb our self-possession. Now ask your question properly.
1: Mother, you have no consideration for me. For heaven's sake, either treat me as a child, as you always do, And tell me nothing at all, Or tell me everything, and let
2: me take it as best I can. Treat you as a child? What do you mean? it is most unkind and ungrateful of you to say such a thing you know i have never treated any of you as children i have always made you my companions and friends and allowed you perfect freedom to do and say whatever you liked so long as you liked what i could approve of
1: i dare say we have been very imperfect children of a very perfect mother but i do beg you let me alone for once and tell me about this horrible business of my father wanting to set me aside for another son
2: another son i never said anything of the kind i never dreamt of such a thing this is what comes of interrupting me Uh, but you said now be a good boy stephen and listen to me patiently the undershafts are descended from a foundling in the parish of st andrew undershaft in the city that was long ago in the reign of james the well this foundling was adopted by an armourer and gun maker in the course of time the foundling succeeded to the business and from some notion of gratitude or some vow or something he adopted another foundling and left the business to him and that foundling did the same Ever since that, the canon business has always been left to an adopted foundling named Andrew Undershaft. But did
1: they never marry? Were there no legitimate sons?
2: Oh, yes. They married just as your father did, and they were rich enough to buy land for their own children and leave them well provided for. But they always adopted and trained some foundling to succeed them in the business. And, of course, they always quarrelled with their wives furiously over it your father was adopted in that way and he pretends to consider himself bound to keep up the tradition and adopt somebody to leave the business to of course i was not going to stand that there may have been some reason for it when the undershafts could only marry women in their own class whose sons were not fit to govern great estates but there could be no excuse for passing over my son
1: i am afraid i should make a poor hand of managing a cannon foundry
2: nonsense you could easily get a manager and pay him a salary
1: my father evidently had no great opinion of my capacity
2: stuff child you were only a baby it had nothing to do with your capacity andrew did it on principle just as he did every perverse and wicked thing on principle when my father remonstrated andrew actually told him to his face that history tells us of only two successful institutions one the undershaft firm and the other the roman empire under the antonines that was because the antonine emperors all adopted their successors such rubbish the stevenages are as good as the antonines i hope and you are a stevenage but that was andrew all over there you have the man always clever and unanswerable when he was defending nonsense and wickedness always awkward and sullen when he had to behave sensibly and decently
1: then it was on my account that your home life was broken up mother i am sorry
2: well dear there were other differences i really cannot bear an immoral man i am not a pharisee i hope and i should not have minded his merely doing wrong things we are none of us perfect but your father didn't exactly do wrong things he said them and thought them that was what was so dreadful. He really had a sort of religion of wrongness, just as one doesn't mind men practicing immorality so long as they own that they are in the wrong by preaching morality. So I couldn't forgive Andrew for preaching immorality while he practiced morality. You would all have grown up without principles, without any knowledge of right and wrong, if he had been in the house. You know, my dear, your father was a very attractive man in some ways." children did not dislike him and he took advantage of it to put the wickedest ideas into their heads and make them quite unmanageable i did not dislike him myself very far from it but nothing can bridge over moral disagreement
1: all this simply bewilders me mother people may differ about matters of opinion or even about religion but how can they differ about right and wrong right is right and wrong is wrong and if a man cannot distinguish them properly he is either a fool or a rascal that's all
2: that's my own boy she pats his cheek your father never could answer that he used to laugh and get out of it under the cover of some affectionate nonsense and now that you understand the situation what do you advise me to do well what can you do i must get the money somehow
1: we cannot take money from him i had rather go and live in some cheap place like bedford square or even hampstead than take a farthing of his money
2: but after all stephen our present income comes from andrew
1: i never knew that
2: well you surely didn't suppose your grandfather had anything to give me the stephenages could not do everything for you we gave you social position andrew had to contribute something he had a very good bargain i think
1: we are utterly dependent on him and his cannons then
2: certainly not the money is settled but he provided it so you see it is not a question of taking money from him or not it is simply a question of how much i don't want any more for myself
1: nor do i
2: what sarah does and barbara does that is charles lomax and adolphus cusins will cost them more so i must put my pride in my pocket and ask for it i suppose that is your advice stephen is it not no stephen
1: of course if you are determined
2: i am not determined i ask your advice and i am waiting for it i will not have all the responsibility thrown on my shoulders
1: I would die sooner than ask him for another penny.
2: You mean that I must ask him. Very well, Stephen. It shall be as you wish. You will be glad to know that your grandfather concurs. But he thinks I ought to ask Andrew to come here and see the girls. After all, he must have some natural affection for them.
1: Ask him here.
2: Do not repeat my words, Stephen. Where else can I ask him?
1: I never expected you to ask him at all.
2: Now don't tease, Stephen. Come, you see that it is necessary that he should pay us a visit, don't you?
1: I suppose so, if the girls cannot do without his money.
2: Thank you, Stephen. I knew you would give me the right advice when it was properly explained to you. I have asked your father to come this evening.
0: Stephen bounds from his seat.
2: Don't jump, Stephen. It fidgets me.
0: In utter consternation do you mean to say that
1: my father is coming here to-night that he may be
0: here at any moment looking at her watch
2: i said nine
0: he gasps,
2: <gasps>
0: she rises
2: ring the bell please
0: stephen goes to the smaller writing-table presses a button on it and sits at it with its elbows on the table and his head in his hands outwitted and overwhelmed
2: it is ten minutes to nine yet and i have to prepare the girls i asked charles lomax and adolphus to dinner on purpose that they might be here andrew had better see them in case he should cherish any delusions as to their being capable of supporting their wives
0: the butler enters lady bridemart goes behind the settee to speak to him
2: morrison go up to the drawing-room and tell everybody to come down here at once
0: morrison withdraws lady bridemart turns to stephen
2: now remember stephen I shall need all your countenance and authority.
0: He rises and tries to recover some vestige of these attributes.
2: Give me a chair, dear.
0: He pushes a chair forward from the wall to where she stands, near the smaller writing-table. She sits down, and he goes to the armchair, into which he throws himself.
2: I don't know how Barbara will take it ever since they made her a major in the salvation army she has developed a propensity to have her own way and order people about which quite cows me sometimes it's not ladylike. i'm sure i don't know where she picked it up anyhow barbara shan't bully me but still it's just as well that your father should be here before she has time to refuse to meet him or make a fuss don't look nervous stephen it will only encourage barbara to make difficulties i am nervous enough goodness knows but i don't show it
0: sarah and barbara come in with their respective young men charles lomax and adolphus Cusins. sarah is slender bored and mundane barbara is robuster jollier much more energetic sarah is fashionably dressed barbara is in salvation army uniform lomax a young man about town is like many other young men about town He is affected with a frivolous sense of humour, which plunges him at the most inopportune moments into paroxysms of imperfectly suppressed laughter. Cusins is a spectacled student, slight, thin-haired and sweet-voiced, with a more complex form of Lomax's complaint. His sense of humour is intellectual and subtle, and is complicated by an appalling temper. The lifelong struggle of a benevolent temperament and a high conscience against impulses of inhuman ridicule and fierce impatience has set up a chronic strain which has visibly wrecked his constitution. He is a most implacable determined tenacious intolerant person who by mere force of character presents himself as and indeed actually is considerate, gentle, explanatory, even mild and apologetic, capable possibly of murder. But not of cruelty or coarseness. By the operation of some instinct which is not merciful enough to blind him with the illusions of love, he is obstinately bent on marrying Barbara. Lomax likes Sarah and thinks it will be rather a lark to marry her. Consequently, he has not attempted to resist Lady Britomart's arrangements to that end. All four look as if they had been having a good deal of fun in the drawing room. The girls enter first. Leaving the swains outside, Sarah comes to the settee. Barbara comes in after her and stops at the door.
2: Are Cholly and Dolly to come in? Barbara, I will not have Charles called Cholly. The vulgarity of it positively makes me ill. It's all right, Mother. Cholly is quite
3: correct nowadays. Are they to come in?
2: Yes, if they will behave
3: themselves.
0: Through the door.
3: Come in, Dolly. And behave yourself
0: Barbara comes to her mother's writing-table Cusins enters smiling and wanders towards lady britomart Sarah calling
2: come in charlie
0: Lomax enters controlling his features very imperfectly and places himself vaguely between Sarah and Barbara
2: sit down all of you
0: they sit Cusins crosses to the window and seats himself there Lomax takes a chair Barbara sits at the writing-table, and Sarah on the settee.
2: I don't in the least know what you are laughing at, Adolphus. I am surprised at you, though I expected nothing better from Charles Lomax.
0: Cusins, in a remarkably gentle voice,
4: Barbara's been trying to teach me the West Ham Salvation March.
2: I see nothing to laugh at in that. Nor should you, if you are really converted.
4: You were not present. It was really funny, I believe.
2: Oh, ripping! be quiet charles now listen to me children your father is coming here this evening
0: general stupefaction
2: oh i say you are not called on to say anything charles are you serious mother of course i am serious it is on your account sarah and also on charles's
0: silence charles
2: looks painfully unworthy i hope you are not going to object barbara i
3: why should i my father has a soul to be saved like anybody else. he's quite welcome as far as I am concerned,
2: but really, don't you know uh, I, I say what do you wish to convey, Charles? Why well, you must admit that this is a bit thick,
0: turning with ominous suavity to Cusins
2: Adolphus, you are a professor of Greek. Can you translate Charles Lomax's remarks into reputable English for us?
4: If I may say so, Lady Britt, I think Charles has rather happily expressed what we all feel. Homer, speaking of Autolycus, uses the same phrase.
2: Not that I mind, you know, if Sarah don't. Thank you. Have I your permission, Adolphus, to invite my own husband to my own house?
4: You have my unhesitating support in everything you do.
2: Sarah, have you nothing to say? Do you mean that he is coming regularly to live here? Certainly not the spare room is ready for him if he likes to stay for a day or two and see a little more of you but there are limits
3: well he can't eat us i suppose i don't mind
2: (laughs) i wonder how the old man will take it much as the old woman will no doubt charles oh i i I didn't mean at least you didn't think charles you never do and the result is you never mean anything and now please attend to me children your father will be quite a stranger to us i suppose uh, he hasn't seen sarah since she was a little kid not since she was a little kid charles as you express it with that elegance of diction and refinement of thought that seem never to desert you accordingly er now i have forgotten what i was going to say that comes of your provoking me to be sarcastic charles Adolphus, will you kindly tell me where I was?
4: You were saying that, as Mr. Undershaft has not seen his children since they were babies, he will form his opinion of the way you have brought them up from their behaviour to-night, and that therefore you wish us all to be particularly careful to conduct ourselves well, especially Charles.
2: Look here! Lady Britt didn't say that! I did, Charles. Adolphus's recollection is perfectly correct. It is most important that you should be good. And I do beg you for once not to pair off into opposite corners and giggle and whisper while I am speaking to your father. All right, mother, we'll do you credit. Remember, Charles, that Sarah will want to feel proud of you instead of ashamed of you. Oh, I say, there's nothing to be exactly proud of, don't you know? We'll try and look as if there was. Morrison, pale and
0: dismayed, breaks into the room in unconcealed disorder might i speak a word to you my lady
2: nonsense show him up
0: yes my lady he goes
2: does morrison know who he is of course morrison has always been with us oh well there must be a regular corker for him don't you know is this a moment to get on my nerves charles with your outrageous expressions but this is something out of the ordinary really
0: at the door the um, uh, mr undershaft he retreats in confusion andrew undershaft comes in all rise lady britomart meets him in the middle of the room behind the settee andrew is on the surface a stoutish easy-going elderly man with kindly patient manners and an engaging simplicity of character but he has a watchful deliberate waiting listening face and formidable reserves of power, both bodily and mental, in his capacious chest and long head. His gentleness is partly that of a strong man who has learnt by experience that his natural grip hurts ordinary people, unless he handles them very carefully, and partly the mellowness of age and success. He is also a little shy in his present, very delicate
5: situation.
2: Good evening, Andrew.
5: How would do, my dear?
2: You look a good deal older.
5: I am somewhat older. Time has stood still with you.
2: Rubbish. This is your family.
5: Is it so large? I am sorry to say my memory is failing very badly in some things. He offers his hand with paternal kindness to Lomax, jerkily shaking his hand. How do you do? I can see you are my eldest. I am very glad to meet you again, my boy.
6: No, but look here, did not you know? Oh oh i say
2: andrew do you mean to say that you don't remember how many children you have
5: well i am afraid i they have grown so much Uh, am i making any ridiculous mistake i may as well confess i recollect only one son but so many things have happened since of course Uh,
2: andrew you are talking nonsense of course you have only one son
5: perhaps you will be good enough to introduce me my dear
2: this is Charles Lomax, who is engaged to Sarah.
5: My dear sir, I beg your pardon.
2: Not at all. I delighted. I assure you. This is Stephen.
5: Bowing. Happy to make your acquaintance, Mister Stephen. Then, going to Cousin's. You must be my son. Taking Cusin's hand in his. How are you, my young friend? To Lady Bridemart. He is very like you, my love.
4: You flatter me, Mister Undershaft my name is Cusins, engaged to barbara that is major barbara undershaft of the salvation army that is sarah your second daughter this is stephen undershaft your son
5: my dear stephen i beg your pardon not at all mr Cusins, i am very much indebted to you for explaining so precisely turning to sarah barbara my dear sarah sarah of course they shake hands he goes over to barbara barbara i am right this time i hope
2: quite right
0: they shake hands resuming command
2: sit down all of you sit down andrew
0: she comes forward and sits on the settee Cuzens also brings his chair forward on her left barber and stephen resume their seats lomax gives his chair to sarah and goes for another thank you my love conversationally as he brings a chair forward between the writing-table and the settee and offers it to undershaft
6: "'Takes you some time to find out exactly where you are, daren't it?'
0: "'Excepting the chair.'
5: "'That is not what embarrasses me, Mr. Lomax. "'My difficulty is that if I play the part of a father, "'I shall produce the effect of an intrusive stranger, "'and if I play the part of a discreet stranger, "'I may appear a callous father.'
2: "'There is no need for you to play any part at all, Andrew. "'You had much better be sincere and natural.'
5: Yes, my dear, I dare say that will be best. Makes himself comfortable. Well, here I am. Now, what can I do for you all?
2: You need not do anything, Andrew. You are one of the family. You can sit with us and enjoy yourself.
0: Lomax's too long suppressed mirth explodes in agonizing neighings.
2: Charles Lomax, if you can behave yourself, behave yourself. If not, leave the room.
6: Oh I'm awfully sorry lady Pitman really you know upon my soul <laughs>
0: he sits on the settee between lady bridemart and undershaft quite overcome
3: why don't you laugh if you want
2: to cholly it's good for your inside barbara you have had the education of a lady please let your father see that and don't talk like a street girl
5: never mind me my dear as you know i am not a gentleman and i was never educated
2: Uh, nobody'd know it i assure you
6: you look all right you know
4: let me advise you to study greek mr undershaft greek scholars are privileged men few of them know greek and none of them know anything else but their position is unchallengeable other languages are the qualifications of waiters and commercial travellers greek is to a man of position what the hallmark is to silver
3: dolly don't be insincere Cholly, fetch your concertina
6: and play something for us.
5: Doubtfully to undershaft.
6: perhaps that sort of thing uh, isn't in your line, eh?
5: I am particularly fond of music.
6: Oh, are you? Uh, Then I'll get it. He goes
5: upstairs for the instrument. Do you play, Barbara?
3: Only the tambourine, but Cholly's teaching me the concertina.
5: Is Cholly also a member of the Salvation Army?
3: No he says it's bad form to be a dissenter but i don't despair of cholly i made him come yesterday to a meeting at the dock gates and take the collection in his hat
2: it is not my doing andrew barbara is old enough to take her own way she has no father to advise her
3: oh yes she has there are no orphans in the salvation army
5: your father there has a great many children and plenty of experience eh looking at him with quick interest and nodding
3: just so, how did you come to understand that?
0: Lomax is heard at the door trying the concertina.
2: Come in, Charles. Play us something at once. Right o.
5: He sits down in his former place and preludes. One moment, Mister Lomax. I am rather interested in the Salvation Army. Its motto might be my own: blood and fire.
6: But not your sort of blood and fire, you know.
5: My sort of blood cleanses. My sort of fire purifies.
3: So do ours. Come down tomorrow to my shelter, the West Ham shelter, and see what we're doing. We're going to march to a great meeting in the assembly hall at Mile End. Come and see the shelter, and then march with us. It'll do you a lot of good. Can you play anything?"
5: In my youth, I earned pennies and even shillings occasionally in the streets and in public house parlors by my natural talent for step dancing. Later on, I became a member of the Undershaft Orchestral Society and performed passably on the tenor trombone.
6: Oh, I say!
3: Many a sinner has played himself into heaven on the trombone, thanks to the army.
0: To Barbara, still rather shocked.
6: Yes, but what about the cannon business? Don't you know? To Undershaft. Getting into heaven is not exactly in your line, is it? Charles. Well, but it stands to reason, don't it? Uh, The the cannon business may be necessary and all that. We can't get on without cannons, but it it isn't right, you know. On the other hand, uh, there may be a certain amount of tosh about the Salvation Army. I, I belong to the established church myself, but still, you can't deny that it's religion. And you can't go against religion, can you? at least uh, unless you're downright immoral didn't you know
5: you hardly appreciate my position mr lomax
6: I, i'm not saying anything against you personally you know
5: quite so quite so but consider for a moment here i am a manufacturer of mutilation and murder i find myself in especially amiable humour just now because this morning down at the foundry we blew twenty-seven dummy soldiers into fragments with a gun which formerly destroyed only thirteen
6: well the more destructive war becomes the sooner it will be abolished eh
5: not at all the more destructive war becomes the more fascinating we find it no mr lomax i am obliged to you for making the usual excuse for my trade but i am not ashamed of it i am not one of those men who keep their morals and their business in water-tight compartments all the spare money my trade rivals spend on hospitals, cathedrals, and other receptacles for conscience money, I devote to experiments and researches in improved methods of destroying life and property. I have always done so, and I always shall. Therefore your Christmas-card moralities of peace on earth and goodwill among men are of no use to me. Your Christianity, which enjoins you to resist not evil, and to turn the other cheek, Would make me a bankrupt my morality my religion must have a place for cannons and torpedoes in it you speak as if there were half a dozen moralities and
1: religions to choose from instead of one true morality and one true religion
5: for me there is only one true morality but it might not fit you as you do not manufacture aerial battleships there is only one true morality for every man but every man has not the same true morality.
6: Would you mind saying that again? I uh, I didn't quite follow
4: it. It's quite simple. As Euripides says, one man's meat is another man's poison morally as well as physically.
5: Precisely.
6: Oh, that. Ah, yes, yes, yes. True, true.
1: In other words, some men are
3: honest and some are scoundrels. Bosh, there are no scoundrels.
5: "'Indeed? Are there any good men?'
3: "'No, not one. There are neither good men nor scoundrels. There are just children of one father. And the sooner they stop calling one another names, the better. You needn't talk to me. I know them. I've had scores of them through my hands—scoundrels, criminals, infidels, philanthropists, missionaries, county councillors, all sorts.' They're all just the same sort of sinner, and there's the same salvation ready for them all.
5: May I ask, have you ever saved a maker of cannons?
3: No. Will you let me try?
5: Well, I will make a bargain with you. If I go to see you tomorrow in your salvation shelter, will you come the day after to see me in my cannon works?
3: Take care. It may end in your giving up the cannons for the sake of the Salvation Army.
5: Are you sure it will not end in your giving up the Salvation Army for the sake of the Canons?
3: I will take my chance of that.
5: And I will take my chance of the other. They shake hands on it. Where is your shelter?
3: In West Ham, at the sign of the Cross. Ask anybody in Canning Town. Where are your works?
5: In Perivale, St. Andrews, at the sign of the Sword. Ask anybody in Europe.
3: Hadn't I better play something? Yes. Give us onward, Christian soldiers.
6: Uh, Well, uh, that's rather a strong order to begin with, didn't you know? Uh, Suppose I sing Thou Art Passing Hence My Brother. It's much the same tune. Oh, it's too melancholy.
3: You get saved, Cholly, and you'll pass hence my brother without making
2: such a fuss about it. Really, Barbara, you go on as if religion were a pleasant subject. Do have some sense of propriety
5: i do not find it an unpleasant subject my dear it is the only one that capable people really care for looking at her watch
2: well if you are determined to have it i insist on having it in a proper and respectable way charles ring for prayers
0: general amazement stephen rises in dismay
2: oh i say
5: rising i am afraid i must be going
2: you cannot go now andrew it would be most improper sit down what will the servants think
5: my dear i have conscientious scruples may i suggest a compromise if barbara will conduct a little service in the drawing-room with mr lomax as organist i will attend it willingly i will even take part if a trombone can be procured
2: don't mock andrew
5: shocked to barbara you don't think i am mocking my love i hope
3: no of course not And it wouldn't matter if you were. Half the army came to their first meeting for a lark. Rising. Come along. Come,
2: Dolly. Come, Cholly.
0: She goes out with undershaft, who opens the door for her. Cusins rises.
2: I will not be disobeyed by everybody. Adolphus, sit down. Charles, you may go. You are not fit for prayers. You cannot keep your countenance. Oh, I say!
0: He goes out continuing
2: but you adolphus can behave yourself if you choose to i insist on your staying
4: my dear lady brit there are things in the family prayer book that i couldn't bear to hear you say
2: what things pray
4: well you would have to say before all the servants that we have done things we ought not to have done and left undone things we ought to have done and that there is no health in us i cannot bear to hear you doing yourself such an injustice and barbara such an injustice as for myself i flatly deny it i have done my best i shouldn't dare to marry barbara i couldn't look you in the face if it were true so i must go to the drawing-room
2: well go
0: he starts for the door
2: and remember this adolphus
0: he turns to listen
2: i have a very strong suspicion that you went to the salvation army to worship barbara and nothing else and i quite appreciate the very clever way in which you systematically humbug me i have found you out take care barbara doesn't that's all
4: don't tell on me he goes out
2: sarah if you want to go go anything's better than to sit there as if you wished you were a thousand miles away
3: very well mamma
0: she goes lady brittemart with a sudden flounce gives way to a little gust of tears going to her mother what's the matter swishing away her tears with her handkerchief
2: Nothing foolishness you can go with them too if you like and leave me with the servants
1: oh you mustn't think that mother i i I don't like
2: him the others do that is the injustice of a woman's lot a woman has to bring up her children and that means to restrain them to deny them things they want to set them tasks to punish them when they do wrong to do all the unpleasant things and then the father who has nothing to do but pet them and spoil them, comes in when all her work is done, and steals their affection from her.
1: He has not stolen our
2: affection from you, mother.
1: It
0: is only curiosity.
2: I won't be consoled, Stephen. There is nothing the matter with me.
0: She rises and goes toward the door. Where are you going, mother?
2: To the drawing-room, of course.
0: She goes out. Onward, Christian soldiers, on the concertina, with tambourine accompaniment is heard when the door opens
2: are you coming stephen
0: no certainly not she goes he sits down on the settee with compressed lips and an expression of strong dislike end of act one